Hello and welcome to the second chapter. I hope you've had a fantastic week. You're going to love this week's guest, but first, have you followed the second chapter podcast on Instagram? We're at the second chapter podcast with underscores between the words. Follow for first peeks at some of our guests, giveaways, and of course, just to say hello and show us some love. This week, I'm speaking with Tracy Jane. Amongst other things, a pregnancy at 18 meant that Tracy took some extra time to find her career passion. When her son was just three, she opened her own successful business, but a brush with death made her realize that it was time to follow a dream for herself. Tracy is now a makeup and special effects artist working in film with a current focus on the horror genre. You're that close to death and it's like, hold on a minute, I just need to make sure the rest of my life is going to make me happy. Hi, Tracy. Thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. I'm really excited to chat with you about your fairly recent career changes. Thank you for being here to talk about it. Yeah, it is recent, but I've been working towards it for quite a long time now. So let's go back a little bit and tell me a little bit about where you grew up. And I don't want to say career, even just what did you think you were going to do with your life? Well, I grew up in Southeast London. And to be honest, I wasn't really too sure. You know, you're at school, it's coming up to the time to leave. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I ended up going into the travel industry, but it wasn't really what I wanted, you know, sitting in an office all day. And then drifted in and out of sort of jobs, nothing really important. It's so ironic when people go into the travel industry, because obviously there's a draw there with the world travel, that kind of thing. And you end up in an office all day. (laughs) Yes, yes. It's not what people think. Um, I was a YTS trainee. And the idea was that we went on different holidays, just view the hotel and things like that. But most of the time you're sitting there answering the phone and, you know, trying to book tickets. And yeah, sitting behind the desk all day was quite hard for me. Um, And then I fell pregnant when I was just 18. So obviously that sort of stopped any work for a while. I ended up being a single parent quite young, going back to college, retraining to be a nursery teacher to work in childcare. And yeah, it went from there. I ended up opening up my own children's day nursery after school club. And I'd done that quite well for 11 years. And um, off to work I went one day and I didn't feel very well. And I said to my mum, I'm going to go back home. And I got indoors, I collapsed. I ended up in hospital, having emergency surgery. Um, I had kidney failure. Um, they gave me five years for a transplant. And um, I'm in my 11th year with no transplant. Just lucky, changing diet, being more healthy. But when I was in hospital, I was there for six weeks. And I thought to myself, is this really what I want to do? And I decided to sell my nursery. I phoned up the agency while I was in hospital, uh, sold my business and went back into retraining. I'm going to go back a little ways. It's interesting to me that you opened up your own nursery as a single mum when did you originally think childcare because obviously you had a child and it seemed a natural progression or why did you end up in going that route um so it was when my son started nursery and i went in as a voluntary parent to help and the nursery teacher said to me you're really good at this really good for children why don't you go and learn and get paid for it so i thought yeah okay working in a school you know i still get the summer holidays off and it really fit in well with my son. But by the time I qualified, I realised that I was really quite good at what I was doing. And I worked towards, I think it took me about two years, 
and then I opened up my own preschool once I qualified. And when you were actually doing it before you had a very life-changing event, were you happy doing it? Was it something? Oh, my job. I loved my job. I loved working for kids. Um, We had some great times. Yeah, it was just really good. It was just the fact that I'd done that to, you know, for my children to grow up. My oldest son is 30 this year. So for me, it was something more about, I'm going to do something for me. So you're in the hospital and they're telling you you have five years basically to live. So when I arrived at the hospital, my kidney was about to burst, um, so they couldn't actually put me to sleep. They operated on me when I was awake, and they cut me open, and yeah, there's a look on your face. I'm thinking, I know what we're going to talk about your career is now. It sounds like you were living that career in the hospital, but I won't get to that. Yeah. <laughs> they, when they cut me open to put a tube in, it was such, it was a shock, and my heart stopped. Literally, or? Yeah. It, no, it did. I just remember hearing it's really strange because I was still conscious and I remember hearing him say no no I've got her it's okay but I think it might have just been the shock of like oh my gosh what what's happening it was shock wow (laughs) yeah okay so they have to put this tube in and they've told you five years right um yes for a transplant so how does that work? It's like, you're really ill, you need this transplant, but you just go home and wait. Yeah, I was there for six weeks. I actually discharged myself because it was just before Christmas Eve and I wanted to go home and see my children. They wanted me to stay, but I felt okay and I had to go back afterwards. I went with my mum and we were sitting there and that's when they said to me, get a transplant. And I was just like, no, that's not happening. It's just not happening. And that was it. So has the opportunity come up that you could have had a transplant? Have there been kidneys available or is it just something that Um, you've decided? From that moment, I just sort of, I don't know. I've actually got a plastic tube from my kidney down to my bladder. And it's just hard to explain. I think it's mental attitude as well. You know, you start looking after yourself a lot better than what you do. Um, They can't explain it. They've just said, basically, I'm a walking miracle. They don't know why. You know, it's sort of reversed. And I've left it at that. And so at this point, are they not even encouraging you to get a tra- kidney transplant? No, I don't They're need one. Nothing. It. Yeah. That's what they said. And I don't understand it myself. I just think I'm really lucky. And obviously this did give you a new lease on life. So you've started pursuing something Definitely. Different. I mean, you know, it's you're that close to death. And it's like, hold on a minute. I just need to make sure the rest of my life is, you know, going to make me happy. And... That's what i done, just changed everything. It was just like a decision, no, that's it. So you closed the nursery and then... I sold the nursery. I took a year off. Uh, I went into retraining. I started off doing hairdressing because my youngest son was still quite young. I'd done hairdressing, level one. Then I'd done beauty therapy. So I'm qualified in level three throughout hairdressing, beauty therapy and special effects. So it took me five years to train and study. So as you're going through beauty, I'm thinking about all this beauty thing and everything is to try to feel better, to look better. And then you go into special effects, um, <laughs> which is a very different kind of world. Yes, in a way. but it all links together because if you're going into sort of special effects, you need to know about the products you're using. Don't want to put something on someone's skin, what's going to irritate them. You get more knowledge from doing beauty therapy than what you actually do in the special effects industry. They literally don't really focus on that. So it's good to have all that knowledge, but also my son being so young, it sort of filled time up for when I could actually get to where I wanted to be. And were you going in and out where you were working a bit and then going back to study more? Uh, No, I literally spent five years studying, training. 
I'd go off and do people's hair and beauty treatments, you know, for a little bit of money. So studying too, it's pure studying for five, five years. I love studying. <laughs> if I could just study all the time, that might be what I would do. <laughs> Always learning something new. But I mean, as far as raising three kids and putting yourself through school, how were you balancing all of that? Um, I think that obviously from having a nursery, it's sort of around that environment all their life. They see me sit there working with children's records, making policies. So it's just the same for me. It's not been any different. The only time it does sort of change it is the summer holidays where I'm like, I'm not doing anything because I spend so much time of the year doing other things. I take that time for my children. And then even financially, as far as supporting yourself and everything, was that a challenge? Was that- Oh yeah, it's still a challenge. You know, I'm quite lucky. Um, I've got good support around me. How long ago was it that you finished with your SFX training? It's been a few years, probably about four years now. So once I finished all that, I did take a bit of time out because I'd studied for five years. And then I sort of slowly started work and jobs. And yeah, it sort of went from there. What's been so far, what kind of challenges have you faced, especially as a second career? Um, I wasn't worried, you know, being older, coming into the industry, but it's not been an issue. I'm actually dyslexic, so that's probably been the issue for me. I think I could have done a lot better with social media, putting myself out a bit more. Um, So that's been a sort of a difficulty. Um, But apart from that, everything's sort of really flowing smoothly at the moment. You mentioned to me before about being dyslexic, and I was wondering, is that something that you've only discovered as an adult, or is it something that you knew about when you were younger? I think I kind of knew when I was sort of growing up, but it wasn't picked up until I actually went back to college after having my son. It was a teacher who picked it up, and she got me some help, and I had, I think, probably about six months one-to-one with a teacher to help me sort of go through my studies. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm just bringing that up because I do feel like it's something now. I know my partner was just, he just went to university recently and it was something that was picked up through university as well. And I just always wonder, you know, how your life or his life or so many people that have had these difficulties that that haven't been picked up on. Um, I think, yeah, it probably would have changed right a bit for me. I just have the attitude, well, what's happened's happened. You know, I just got to deal with it now and how I'm going to deal with it. Yeah. I mean, I think we don't have a choice. And it seems like even though sometimes the road maybe is a little bit longer, if you found what your calling is, then you've gotten there anyway. Well, I was always more creative as a child as well. I was making bookmarks and going around selling them to the neighbours just so I could buy makeup. Did your family encourage that kind of creativity? or My mum only found out when our next door neighbour told her a few months ago when they bumped into each other in the shops. Uh, my mum was a bit sort of like, oh my God. But I suppose I was always sort of making things, being at home. I wasn't really allowed out much. Sort of, this was in the 80s. I was the only girl. Um, if I went out, I had to be with my brothers. And uh, yeah, so most of the time I was at home, was probably studying, reading and making stuff. It's funny you say that about going to the neighbors because I remember at one point we really wanted to go to Disney World. <laughs> I mean, it's like the kids' dream kind of thing. And I remember we had picked dandelions. They, we thought they were flowers. They're considered weeds, yeah. whatever. But we'd p- picked them from our front yard, front, front garden. And we were going door to door to the neighbors and asking them if they'd want to buy dandelions <laughs> so that we could go on a family trip to Disney World. 
And this was all brought to a stop because one of the neighbors, I think I either walked across or called my mom or something. and was like, do you know that Kristen and the girls are going <laughs> selling dandelions? Well, the funny thing for uh, me was the flowers, what I was picking was either from my mom's garden or the neighbor's garden. So I was walking along the road. So it's probably buying their own flowers. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to buy a bookmark? Would you like to buy some of your own flowers? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's enterprising it anyway. Was. And obviously, since you had your own business at some point, you were just practicing. I was just sort of leading up to it. As far as you said, it's going pretty smoothly. But tell me a little bit more about just a day to day. Like, what does somebody who's in special effects do? Oh, any it, every day is different. Um, props as well. So. Yesterday, I was making a really long tongue for a film. Um, I also, I'm looking over at my work table over there because they're actually sitting there. Um, <laughs> and I'm laughing because when we started, I apologize for the mess behind me. I laughed, thinking, you don't know what's on my table. But this, what's behind me is my prop maker partner's workstation. So okay. I have a very good idea what you're. <laughs> so um yeah i done the scream queen danny's severed face so that's what's sitting on my table at the moment so every day is different i could be building a prop if i'm on set that's that can be full on um house of zombies one day we had about 20 zombies to do and you know we did actually do quite well and done that quite quickly how many was on that team uh that day there was only i think it was just me and alex you're doing 20 zombies. Is that makeup or makeup and prosthetics? Most of the front ones will have prosthetics. Lucky enough, people in the back will just have blood over them. So, <laughs> you know, yes, it can be um, sort of challenging. When we done uh, a different film, I had to kill, me and Alex again, we had to kill everyone in the theatre. So we had just this long line of people and we were just smothering with blood. Because, you know, the cameras are not going to pick them up as they're running out. They've just got blood on them. So that's them done. But main characters will have prosthetics on them. One of the things I was reading about that you've been working on is edible prosthetics. I'm intrigued. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah, so we was filming. It was the House of Zombies. And someone put one of the fingers, one of the squishy ones, in their mouth. So it looked like you know, they've bitten it off and sort of spat it out. I'm looking, I'm thinking, hold on a minute. I, I could actually make something, which is going to taste a lot nicer. And, you know, you can eat. So I come home. And I made the mould and I made some edible body parts out of chocolate. And now are they just using it in the films so that they can take a big bite off something or now are you selling chocolate fingers? It has literally gone from doing them for a film to now people have asked me, can I buy them? And I've got a number of orders for edible body parts. I've actually got a press release next weekend purely for edible body parts. This, uh, I don't know, it can be really disgusting. What body parts are people asking for? <laughs> I need to know. I mean, I imagine there's some ears, some fingers, but there must be things that are a little bit cruder as well. More crude. Yeah, you do get that. If you watch um, one of the videos on my YouTube channel, I've done the casting of Danny's face, the conversation in the room, what someone has text and asked if we can mould. And it's like, that's not going to work. <laughs> what do you use for the fake blood? I've made my own, so that's just made from corn syrup and food colouring, a little bit of corn flour to make it thicker. Does it taste? I can make it taste like orange or almonds or, or anything, or just plain. Plain's not good, but yeah. I love it. Oh, this is the delicious orange chocolate uh, edible finger. Yeah, so I'll do a salted caramel ear 
which um, is a bit different. So I didn't tell the director what he was actually eating. I just gave him the ear and said, tell me what you think. And he's like, this is really nice. It's salted caramel. He said, I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm eating an ear and it tastes of salted caramel. So it sort of, you know, tricks uh, the mind a bit as well, I suppose. Yeah, I love that though, because I mean, you know, you're used to like heart-shaped chocolates. Here's a delicious salted caramel ear. Why not? Just try. They're good. Any Valentine's Day orders? Yes, I have. Um, <laughs> on Facebook, he's um, a Pacific order for his boyfriend. So that's been sent off to, to him. Yeah, I've got a number of people who want Valentine's Day gifts. They're just either the heart. Um, yeah, that's sort of a big thing at the moment, the heart. It's a realistic like a one. Medically realistic yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm not picturing I'm not picturing a heart no. like a <laughs> This is the alternative Valentine. <laughs> I like it. If you feel like it's too commercial of a holiday, here's a realistic yeah. heart chocolate. A broken one if you want. <laughs> exactly. If things aren't going yeah. well, here's a broken one. You know, you could do a brain for the brain surgeon. That's you know, something you could send them. If it's their birth. That would really mess with my mind, <laughs> literally and figuratively, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so people just want their body parts There's molded. There's a lot of people who, yes, want their body parts molded for different reasons. I don't know how I'm going down this road. Is it edible? Is it not edible? Do they want to hang it on their wall? <laughs> a little bit of all of that and a little bit more. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Now my mind's going, please. <laughs> so... You could ask, some could ask for two feet for a certain reason, and I'm going to leave it there, and you'll have to think about it. I think I'm too naive. I really am. That's how I was. <laughs> <laughs> and then when someone told me, I was like, "Oh, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna think on that one, and probably have to ask someone." Is there anything that you've done that's been really empowering? Um, I'm just thinking, like, what would be empowering and interesting and strong versus weird. There is a lady who did ask about having a bust done. She is a showpiece in the garden before she gets too old and they don't look as good as what she's paid for them to look as good as. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but I like yeah, that. Why you know, not? This is a moment in time. Well, I actually do have a lamp over here, which is a, a bust lamp, and I can actually make them. And I wouldn't mind making that for somebody if they wanted it because I think they're quite nice. I'll just show you. <gasps> oh, yeah, that's not what I was expecting at all, but it's it is pretty. actually really cool. It's so, yeah, they're quite easy to make and that would be something nice to make for somebody. And it does feel like that would be really empowering because it is like saying, this is my body. And, and actually, I like the idea that it would be something that as you get older, hopefully keeping that confidence and saying, this was my body and this is my body now. And yeah. I don't know, it's like, a, it's like a way cooler than photograph photograph. I think that I wish that I could have done that to me before I had children because you know how much your body changes. You know, you can look back and go... Yeah, I look pretty hot or cool, you know. But then I also, okay, we're going completely off track. I feel like there is something that's really cool now to also say, this is my body. It's been through kidney difficulties. It's been through three kids. It's been through... Yes, well, funny enough, I did say for my 50th, which is next year, I would sort of semi-strip off because I'm really proud of my body. But now it's getting near the time. I'm like, mm, is that a good idea? You can do it. Make yourself a bust lamp of your 50. This is 50 bust. <laughs> I like it. So as somebody who works on horror, actually, my friend asked me to ask you this question, but I need to know, what is your worst nightmare? Oh, God, I used to have terrible nightmares as a child. Always the same one. You know, you're running and you're looking behind and you 
got something coming up and don't matter how fast you're trying to run, it's still behind you. Yeah, that was my nightmare as a child. Same repetitive one. And did you like horror always? No. We watch horror until I was about 14. I think it's because of the nightmares. Well, that's good. Yeah. I think you probably shouldn't watch horror until I you're at least around yeah, 14. I know some people say to me, oh, I was such and such age. And I think, God, I think I, that would have disturbed me for life, watching it, you know, as a younger child. But once you were, you know, 14, of, of an age that seems reasonable to yeah. like horror, was it always a genre that you were interested in? I liked Freddy. Um, Jason I never watched because I did catch a glimpse of that when I was younger and it scared me. Mm. So I sort of tend to stay away from that. No, not really. Um, quite like Vikings, you know, the axes through the heads. I sort of fell into the horror um, through over lockdown. So I do love horror. You know, I do like watching it. But yeah, I do like zombies though, that's the thing. So I, I like Sea Nation. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, so yeah, I like things like that more than sort of horror. But I think that's purely because of the nightmares I had as a child sort of, you know, really put me off until later on in life. So continuing this path, do you think it's something that you'll more try to go, I know at the moment you're scream queen. Yes. (laughs) So do you think you'll continue that route or would you rather get into Vikings with, I mean, it's still horrific, but an axe in a head. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. I can go into lots of different anything, wherever there's anyone getting an axe in the head or shot or anything, special effects cover such a wide variety of films. But I do love the horror. The people are lovely, the nicest people I've met. And, you know, for them to love horror so much and make horror films, you think, you know, hmm, but they're not, they're so nice. I just, I'm really comfortable where I am at the moment. Is it an industry that tends to be mostly women or is there, because the beauty aspect that you talked about, I'm like, yeah, that stereotypically tends to be women. But as far as horror and special effects in that way, prop making, all of that. It's a very male-dominated area. It always has been, but there's more and more women sort of coming through into the industry now. Is it something that you think has hindered you at all as far as it being a male-dominated industry? Obviously, there's lots of men and there's only sort of a few women within the industry. Um, they're not really too many on this side. Um, it would be nicer for more women. But it's just them coming through. You know, we have children and it's waiting for the right time. And this was a lot of my thing. Having children so young, you can't just get up and leave them and go off on set for a few weeks. Where for a man, it's so much easier. Unless you've got a supportive partner behind you who says, yeah, okay, you go and film. It's different. So that's sort of what's took me so long, waiting for Harrison to get to an age where he's 14 now. My middle son's 22. They can stay at home. And I know that they're okay. My older son's around the corner and I can go off for 10 days and not worry. Just come back to a load of washing up. Come on, Tracy. I think you trained them better. They should be washing. Yeah, I know. But the thing is, I think that's the one area I did skip on. And it's like, yeah, I don't want to put my hands in the water. Come on. Really? No, I do think a lot of the women I talk to, it's whether it was that they had children young or whether it was just other difficulties with family. And I do feel like some of these industries, especially that are more male dominated, part of that reason is because we just weren't given the opportunity or whether it's being told you weren't allowed to, it wasn't for you, or whether it's, I just couldn't, I had family care responsibilities. Whereas, yes, a lot of times that wasn't the case for men. Um, yeah, I suppose when I, I was at school looking at leaving school, you know, you go around to the career people and each one you go to, no, this is for men, this is for men, this is for men. 
I was five foot two, very small. And, you know, they'd be like, no, you can't do this job. Why can't I? That's always been my attitude. I, I can do it if I want. With this, it's just, I'm doing it, you know, and that's it for me. As far as what you're working on now, tell me a bit more about, besides the giant long tongue, <laughs> what else is going on right now? There's lots going on. I'm back filming Video Tales of Terror. We've got one segment in Romford, and then I've got the segment to do with Danny. Um, that's her film. Hold on, you keep you keep referring to Danny. She's a actress. She's the screen queen, Danny Thompson. Um, she is in most of the horror films that I've worked on. Everyone wants Danny in her film, their film, because she sells their film. Yeah, I'm lucky enough to mould. I cast her face last weekend. I've turned her into a horror mask, and I'm doing a cutthroat for her film. That's going to be quite good. So as far as the Tower of Terror thing you were talking about, what's that? Tell me more about that. Um, the video Tales of Terror, it's six different stories. So different directors who I've worked for have all done a little short story for, for this. I say it's like Goosebumps, um, you know, that sort of style. And it's just so good. It's been so much fun working on. We've had Lawrence Harvey from the Human Centipede on it. I've done all the special effects on him. I can't tell you too much about that. Danny's on there. Yeah, so there's lots of different... As it's in production, it's hard to talk about. I've got another film coming up where they want a prop. It's an arm. Um, but the lady who's doing that film, she does um, fire tricks. So she's going to show me how to set myself on fire. As you do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm going to start off with my hand. And if it's, I can cope with that, I might go a little bit more. Different kind of special effects. Yeah, my friend actually, a fellow actor friend, was learning fire eating for a show. And I just was like, how does one just to start learning? But I guess it's the kind of the same thing. You start with a smaller body part. Yes. <laughs> and once there's a level of comfort there. You move on. It was a very interesting conversation last weekend with her. Um, she was telling me she has whips and she sort of whirls them around and they're on fire. And I'm just like, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> That wouldn't work for me. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of fire very close to my body. I think I'm okay. <laughs> I'm just sort of in with it. I'm like, yeah, I've got to give this a go. And I'm going to. Yeah, I guess if somebody said, do you want to learn? I'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> go on then. <laughs> exactly. As far as getting work, I think I know how it works with acting work, getting it or not. But how do you, is it just because you've worked with these same people and you've cast their face before or you've worked with them? Does that continue to lead to more projects? Oh, um, yeah, it does. It does. Um, we'll see my work. Uh, so I was at the film festival last weekend. I had people coming up who I don't know saying they've seen my work online and how they think it's so good. Um, so it's just literally my work's getting out. I'm getting more people contacting me, wanting different stuff, wanting different films, props, edibles. Um, yes, different, all different. I haven't actually chased a job. All my work has come, which is quite good. That's the dream, isn't it? Like somebody sees it, it's good. They Another person wants it. Just keep yeah, working. And that's how it's been since, oh, sort of this time last year, it really sort of started sort of getting really busy. If you're going to seek out the next project, what would be the next dream project? To work on one of the big movies. Marvel would be good. Maybe a Viking one would be good. Something, you know, the next sort of step up. Um, that'd be meaning being part of the team. So it, something different, but... Yeah, that's, that's my next step up, the next sort of bigger movies. 
Yeah, something where there's, like you said, a team. What kind of size team are we talking about? I'm just having a vision of how many zombies that would be. <laughs> or how many Vikings. Or- yeah, it'd probably be a lot. You'd work on quite a big team. That's where things change and that's where I, I need to think it wouldn't be so much being part of a team like that. The prostates come in and you apply other people's stuff, you know. So it's a little bit different. But yeah, I still want to try it. I still want to give it a go. What kind of learnings do you think would you have on that kind of a team? Like when you work with other people creatively, there's always something different Yeah, about you it. learn a lot. Everyone's got different styles, you know, ways of how they, they do their moulding, their casting. And it's nice to work with other people because you learn a lot from other people and what they're using. And you might think, oh, I might want to change my material a bit because, you know, it looks nicer, it's different. It's all different reasons. And it's nice just for me just to learn. I like learning. So I always ask for a quote. Did you bring a quote for me today? Do you know, I don't really have quotes. It's a lot of stuff what I think is what my mum always sort of said to me sort of growing up. Um, don't cry over spilt sticks and stones will break your bones and you know all things like for me it's just all about treat people how you want to be treated you know if you're good to me I'm good to you and that that's about it I think that's probably about the most life lesson kind of quote that we need so <laughs> yeah it's just a quote for everyone let's just all be nice I actually saw this woman this morning and I could tell we were about to go down a road. We started having a slightly political conversation, which was probably a bad idea since she was just in the coffee shop. We were chatting for a second. I was like, oh, we don't need a political conversation. But she had a sweatshirt on that said, be kind. And I was like, we can both agree on that. So I'm just going to leave it at that. It was like, be kind, you be kind. Yep. Yeah. That's all we we need to do. Yeah. Just be kind to each other. And it, it goes a long way. And if there's there anything that you haven't said that you want people listening to hear, whether it's about your own journey or what you would encourage people? I just think life is hard at times. We get really bad cards. And I just, if you want something, you just got to keep going for it. Just keep working and working hard and you'll get there eventually. I needed that today. I was having a moment of wanting to give up on something and I just was like... I know I'm not ready to give up yet. <laughs> no, never give up. Just, I always say tomorrow's enough, so you can start fresh. But sometimes when you're having the worst possible time, it is just sleep on it. Yeah, time's, time's a healer for things, you know. That's one of my dad's favourite. Yeah, I just think chin up, you know, get on with it, just keep fighting and just don't let things get you down. Obviously, it's worked for you 11 years after being told you had five. So yeah. <laughs> I'm just fighting on and on. And just, yeah, and I will get wherever I want to go one day, hopefully. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you ever were worried because you were told that and you have your boys and everything, but it seems like now, like you've said, you're in the clear, so. Obviously, you know, the first few years, it was quite difficult, you know, them thinking that, you know, I could go. We have a good sense of humour in my house, you know, we laugh about things and that's how we sort of get through things. Yeah. If, if you can't laugh about it. This is it. <laughs> you're going to sit there and cry. So you might as well just laugh about it. You know, life's too short. And yeah, I just want to enjoy it and be happy. Like most people. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you found the very gruesome thing that seems to uh, make you very happy. It does make me so happy. I know. It's strange. It really does make me happy. 
Thank you for coming and sharing your story with me. I really appreciate it. And best of luck with everything. It sounds like you're going places. So I'll make sure that people know where they can find you and see some of your beautifully gory work. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening. If you haven't subscribed or followed the Second Chapter podcast yet, what are you waiting for? It's free and we would love to have you listening every week. The Second Chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them, with a specific focus on women 35+. For more about Slackline, visit slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.